today on CityCast Salt Lake. We're seeing a lot more union organizing activity in Utah these days even just whispers. And sometimes whispers is all we get because as I understand it, Utah can be a tough place to organize, which is exactly what I'm asking Brandon do about today. He's the president of the Central Utah Federation of Labor, and he's helping me understand the landscape of labor unions in Salt Lake right now. It's Wednesday, March 23rd, 2022. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Hey, Brandon Dew. Welcome to CityCast Salt Lake. Hey, thanks, Allie. It's good to be here. I'm so glad you're here. My first question for you is pretty broad, but one of the things that I think has been really interesting about this moment is the data on the popularity of labor unions in this country. It's an all-time high since, I think, 1965. Two-thirds of Americans are on board with unionizing and collective bargaining. I'm curious why you think that is. Well, I think that we're definitely in a time where people are just tired of continually moving backwards. It's probably the Mm. first time that I can think of in generations that my children probably, maybe not probably, I hope they do, but more than likely are not going to have a better life than what I've had. And Mm. so I think that workers are recognizing that through a collective voice of, of organizing that they have an opportunity to have a better way of life and to, to have a say in their workplace. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you think the national conversation around unionizing has affected the state of things in Utah? I think workers are just recognizing the importance of what they do every day, that mm-hmm. their value isn't, shouldn't be less than what a corporation values stockholders mm-hmm. and shareholders. And I think that's what we're seeing is people are fed up. They're saying enough is enough. You know, cost of living is 8.1%. Yeah. And they're being offered 3%. I mean, essentially asked to go backwards. And I think that that's what you're seeing as people recognize that unions may be their only way to kind of move themselves forward. During the time that we sort of named Striketober, when um, we were seeing like what felt like a, a wave of of strikes and union forming in this country. In Utah, we only really had one event, which was um, the cinema up in, I think it's Redstone Cinema up in Park City. But now it feels like the wave is kind of hitting here. I'm hearing about, you know, there's talk about Harmons, there's talk about Salt Lake Community College. Um, Of course, the Park City Professional Ski Patrol Association was, um, I think, making the most news for their, their talks. And one of the things I've noticed particular to Utah is folks that are in the early stages of forming their union are, I think, shy to talk to the press a lot, to out themselves, to name the process. And I have my own suspicions for why that is, but I'm curious why you think that might be. I think it's difficult. I mean, so as a union representative, it's easy for me to sit at a table and and bargain wages, fringe benefits, and working conditions, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's my full-time job. But when we sit at a collective bargaining table, I've got union members that are sitting alongside me that work for these companies. And they're looking the owner and oftentimes in the eye and expressing for their uh, fellow workers why they need these things. They've got to go out there and work for that employer after they sit at that table. Mm -hmm. And so I think what we're seeing, you know, with Harmons and with these other workers on their fear to kind of poke their head up is the National Labor Relations Board, which is responsible for union organizing over the years, has not been real friendly with workers. And Mm. um You'll see that when when we as unions go out and oftentimes tell our members to vote for a candidate that they may not 
want to vote for because of their hobbies, that sort of thing, or Mm -hmm. social issues. Um, What they have to understand is the National Labor Relations Board has a very um, finalizing way of making sure whether their collective bargaining agreement goes in, whether unions have a, a say in their workplace, whether the votes handled appropriately and and we saw under the Barack Obama term that um, the National Labor Relations Board came towards more towards employees than corporations. Under the Donald Trump administration, it swung back to corporations. And you saw on day one of Joe Biden's administration that he fired the chair of the National Labor Relations Board. I mean, mm-hmm. fired him. That's unprecedented. And mm-hmm. so the person that we have in the White House has a direct impact on workers' rights. And I, I don't think that workers understand that. But ultimately, it's been since really Ronald Reagan's administration that employees have felt beat down and the government has kind of put their thumb on them through that National Labor Relations Board. And, mm-hmm. and so those employees, when they step out um, and try to organize a union, they're worried that the employer is going to fire them and there's no repercussions. Mm-hmm. Say more about the no repercussions part, because I think particular to Utah, that relates to this being a at-will employment state. And I'd like to get into a little bit about what that means and that the relationship between at-will contracts and union organizing often. Sure. Yeah, I think that the, the repercussions, the National Labor Relations Board says you cannot be terminated for the right to organize a union within your workplace. And mm-hmm. it, it comes right back to who's in charge, who's setting the rules, who's, who's um, abiding by those rules. And if you don't have people in the National Labor Relations Board that are going to uphold the rules and, and push them to the side, then it is very scary for workers. Hmm. And so I think what you see in a, uh, you know, we're, we're really not an at-will state per se. We're a right-to-work state. There's two very distinct differences hmm. there. At-will okay. means that an employer can terminate you for any cause and you can walk away for any reason that you want, right? You're both mm-hmm. agreeing that you're going to work under these conditions. Mm-hmm. A right-to-work state, what right-to-work means is that a union can organize a company and that employees within that company have the right to join the union or not. Now, those employees receive the same wages, fringe benefits, and working conditions whether they pay union dues or not. That's Mm. all the law states is that they don't have to pay dues. The crazy part about that is as a union representative, I am forced by the government to go and represent a non-member If they want to file a grievance, if they're terminated, they don't have to pay me a dime, but the government forces me to go and represent that employee. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So Utah, but Utah is an at-will employment state, correct? Well, I think every state is an at-will employment state. It's whether you have right-to-work laws that dictate Mm -hmm. whether you have just cause in a collective bargaining agreement. I mean, that's ultimately what the difference is, is is in most of our collective bargaining agreements, you'll have language that says that they have to have just cause for termination or discipline. Hmm. And so that's that's the change in in at-will or or just cause. But the the right-to-work aspect is strictly whether they pay union dues or not. That's interesting, the way that they interact. Something that I've noticed recently is, and maybe this is just a feeling, but it feels like unions have expanded beyond our normal perception of who is a unionized worker and what kind of workplace unionizes. Like when you think about a union workplace, you think auto workers, electricians, the trades, right? Sure. But we're starting to see like the Audubon Society just unionized um, and nonprofit workers are unionizing. And I think that feels like a bit of a cultural shift in 
Um, and maybe it's affected union popularity or maybe it's a chicken and an egg thing. I think maybe it is the chicken and the egg thing. I think that people are recognizing that they can do more together collectively than they can do by themselves. And so I think traditionally you've seen more blue collar unionization. I think what you're seeing now is that even in the white collar, people are recognizing that their voices are better together, that they can get more collectively than they can by each and every one of them going in one on one. Mm hmm. I'm curious what advice you have for someone who looks around their workplace and says to themselves, this isn't right. This could be better. You know, what is what kind of steps do you take to even form a union in your workplace? Like, I don't fully understand how you get from, you know, group of employees that are frustrated to sitting at the table. Yeah. So I think that the first pr- step in the process is that you you have to actually organize a union. And we it comes back to that National Labor Relations Board that we talk about. There's a process mm-hmm. that's set up so that employees can vote on whether they want to implement a union in their workplace. Um, and that's uh, by collecting authorization cards, which tell the National Labor Relations Board the majority want to do that. Mm-hmm. Or you could even sign a, a petition where everybody puts their name on one petition and states that they want union representation. Mm-hmm. And that's presented to the employer. And the po- employer can even either voluntarily recognize the union uh, that the employees have gone to, or they can force a vote with the National Labor Relations Board. And generally, that's uh, about a six-week process. The National Labor Relations Board gets involved regionally. Our regional office is out of Denver, Colorado. Okay. And they would come over and set up a, an election in their workplace and, and they give a specific date and time. And then those workers are allowed to vote in a union or to say, no, we don't want to unionize. So okay. it's, it's, a, it's a simple process per se. But the problem is, is during that six weeks, the amount of anti-union information that's given out. And so you've got both sides. It's much like a political campaign. Both mm-hmm. sides are trying to convince the employees of, of why it's in their best interest to go one way or another. Mm. For a person who is just entering into the workforce now, what do you think is the best thing they can do to protect themselves? Join a union. <laughs> I, I feel mean, like you'd it, say that. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I mean, without a doubt. I mean, what it when you go and you join a union, you have somebody that's standing up for your rights on a daily basis, right? Mm-hmm. Other than that, you have to go, you have to hire an attorney and prove guilt or innocence in, in certain situations, or the employer has the final say. In a union, it just levels the playing field. And I, I, I think that there's this perception as well. I want to kind of just throw this out there real quick is um, unions aren't in opposition to the company. They're partners with companies, hmm. right? We're, we're not trying to shut companies down. We're not trying to, to harm the company. We're trying to make it fair for the workers within the workplace. And that's why you have contract negotiations is to be able to, to bring those issues up. But by, our, by no means is it the union against the company. The company is our partners and we want them to succeed. The more money that they make, the more money our members make. The better working conditions those employees have Mm -hmm. is better for everybody. It helps to attract and retain employees. So collective bargaining agreements are good for both parties, right? It, It allows a set of work rules that leadership understands what the rules are, the members understand what the rules are, and, and the, the playing field is leveled. So I, I think when there's this perception that companies and unions are against each other, sure, negotiations get tough sometimes. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about that. I mean, both sides are looking out for their interests. But when you put ink on that paper and you say, hey, we have a contract and you shake hands, you go back to work, everybody's on the same page. Everybody's mm-hmm. moving in the same direction. So yeah, I think that's important to know. We talked about how 
unions are having a moment of popularity and public consciousness, which implies that there was a moment where they were unpopular. What led to that, do you think? Like, why did we go through this phase in American history up until pretty recently where people felt like unions had a bad name? You know, I I think that's interesting. I, I think it all comes down to politics, generally, what one side's saying over another. Um, you know, I think the pop- popularity is um, what's seen in the media. You know, there's there's definitely been union leadership in the past that have done things that they shouldn't have done, just like there's corporation CEOs that do things that they shouldn't do. And it, it's mm-hmm. highlighted and then pounded upon, I think, in the press and and used for uh, political political fodder. Um, as far as where we're at today, I think, again, we kind of go back to um, workers seeing that the workplace isn't fair. They see cost of living going up everywhere, right? Here in Salt Lake, we're seeing housing costs go up 18 to 23% a year. And yeah. wages definitely aren't going up that much. And no. so I think we're seeing workers just saying, hey, it's it's not fair. Corporations have the eyes and ears of politicians. So how do we level that out? And certainly one way to level that out is to join a union and have that political force. Brandon, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Well, it's an honor to be with you, Allie. And anytime that uh, you got any questions, happy to meet with you. Okay. I'm sure there'll be more. (laughs) Perfect. Thank you very much. A little news before we go. I don't think we can talk about the surge of union organizing in this state without talking about the influence of the COVID-19 pandemic. The rising pressures and dangers of working throughout this pandemic has pushed so many of us to the brink. Last Friday, Utah reported its lowest daily case count in two years, 67 COVID cases. That number rose a little over the weekend to 102 on Saturday and 174 on Sunday, which follows the normal pattern. But it brings a little bit of relief to finally see numbers this low. Remember Wednesday, January 5th, when our daily count was 7,247 cases? Yeah. The Salt Lake Tribune reported that 61% of Utahns are fully vaccinated, but only 27% of us have had our booster shots. Personally, here's what I want from this spring. I want the weather to stay warm. I want COVID numbers to stay low. And I do not want to go toe-to-toe with this new variant, BA2. So I got my booster. I did it at Harmon's and it didn't even have to make an appointment. If you've been putting it off, I do recommend getting one before the Kilby block party. That's our show today on CityCast Salt Lake. Thank you to my guest, Brandon Dew, who took a break in the middle of a contract negotiation to talk with me today. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Bye.